We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome back, BuzzBeat listeners, Queen City Hoops readers, and Hornets fans. This is our 39th episode of BuzzBeat Radio. The regular season is almost underway as the Charlotte Hornets look to get off to a 1-0 start as they will take on the Pistons Wednesday night in their new arena in Detroit. On this installment of BuzzBeat... Uh, we will actually be without Spencer as he is out of commission as he recently got married. So congrats to Spencer. Uh, Brian and I will hit on many topics as we approach the 17-18 season. We will be talking Malik Monk and his importance to the offense, Bacon's preseason performance and his role on this team, closing lineups, and much more. I also had a chance to speak to David Fernandez of Inside the Cylinder, which is a Detroit Pistons podcast on the Almighty Baller Network, which should uh, close out the podcast here. So stay, stay tuned for that. It's nice being part of a network that gives you access to all different podcasters, and we hope to bring more of them on as guests to preview and discuss teams on the opposing sidelines. Before we begin, we wanted to thank all of our dedicated listeners of the show so far as we enter our first full season of the podcast. Last year, we started it in December, so this is actually the first time we're actually entering a season starting BuzzBeat. So keep recruiting any friends to listen to this show. I think we offer the most intelligent breakdowns and dialogue that can be found anywhere out there on the Charlotte Hornets. With that being said, let me introduce uh, our co-host and Sports Channel 8's own Brian Geisinger. Brian. How ready are you for you to actually watch some meaningful basketball and not have to find any live streams of these Hornets games that we had to for these uh, for these preseason games? Man, I'm pumped. It, it seems overdue. It, uh, it it was it was fun to have. Obviously, it's fun to have summer league and, and preseason basketball to kind of occupy your time uh, once the uh, the playoffs and the finals wrap up in between when the season starts. But Finally, no. Give me, give me my Eric Collins, my Del Curry. Unfortunately, my weirdly reassigned Stephanie Reddy this year, which I don't know if you saw. She's going to be her roles changed a little bit, which is a disappointment because I really liked um, what they had done the last two seasons with those three. But no, give me, give me the, those guys back on, uh, you know, on Fox Sports South, and 
it'll it'll be nice to finally feel like what you're breaking down matters a little bit more right. than saying because it feels like everything we've talked about the last few months has come with the caveat of okay, but this is preseason. Okay, but this is summer league. Okay, but this is blah blah blah. So it doesn't like it hasn't mattered quite as much. And now, I mean, hey man, the NBA season. This is the best sport. This is the best league in the world. Uh, of all the sports, in my opinion, and you know, it's about to fire up here, and and I'm pumped, and it, it'll be fun to have some actual basketball to analyze. You know, even coming from a uh, a substitute source, right, Richie, of uh, of a podcast, yes. right? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly, right. But uh, I kid, but um, no, it'll be it'll be really really good, and I'm I'm stoked for the season and. Keep it tuned to Sports Channel 8 and Queen City Hoops and obviously Buzz Beat as uh, this goes into its its second second season and first full season. And, uh, you know, it's been flying by. But I think I've been on full time since June. Mm-hmm. So even for me, this will be this will be new. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm thrilled to finally have the NBA back. I'm just excited that we actually know for sure that these games are televised and we're not having to search online for these <laughs> illegal streams or find <laughs> opposing teams streams. Yeah. Altogether, I thought the stream of the game Friday night, yeah. like the first camera angle I saw, I was like, ooh, this is going to be rough. It ended up being pretty good, mm-hmm. and I was enjoying the Mavs play-by-play radio broadcast, including uh, Brad Davis. And um, yeah, so no, ultimately the stream wasn't so bad Friday night, but I'd rather not be huddled over my laptop or my iPad and would rather have it on the, the big flat screen with DVR and rewind and pause and all that good stuff, too. Yeah, so. and I didn't mind the uh, the commentators from the Dallas side. They're not anything oh, they're, like Boston. <laughs> yeah, well, jeez. Yeah, yeah, Tommy Heinsohn's going to Tommy Heinsohn. It's just yep. the way it is. Also, real quickly before we get into it, I'd like to congratulate Spencer on getting uh, getting married, too. Saw on, on Snapchat, looked like he, they were having some fun, so good to see, and uh, you know, I hope the honeymoon, I, I'm sure he's told us where he's going, but I don't remember, but I hope he has fun. I'm sure it's somewhere sunny, and there's lots to drink and stuff like that, too. So look, looking forward to him coming back and, and doing these with him when he gets back uh, from, from the trip. Yeah, so we're going to be running a two-man game here. Uh, Spencer should be back, not next episode, but probably the, the one following. So I think a good starting point for this episode, Brian, is Malik Monk, uh, our rookie, first-round uh, first pick. He missed out on um, Orlando Summer League, uh, but was able to play big minutes this preseason. He averaged 27 minutes in five games and averaged 16 points, which was a team high um, for, the, for, for the team in the preseason games. Uh, he only shot 36% from the field and 33 from three. Uh, but as the games went along, if you if you were to just look at his game logs, he improved his efficiency every game, uh, whether that was from the field or whether that was from behind the arc. So I guess my first question to you, Brian, and, and we could just kind of have a discussion about Malik Monk. I think initially with the, with the rookie under Clifford system, we didn't think that Monk well, we knew he'd get minutes, but we I'm, I'm wondering how much impact he will have on this offense this year. And I think it might be bigger than we originally thought. So what are your thoughts on his impact on the offense? No, without a doubt. I was kind of holding off expectations on Monk. You know, he is just a rookie. He's 19 years old. He's not the super long, rangy sort of perimeter athlete that I think, hey, at least defensively, you plug that guy in and just strictly through – his length and athleticism, he can help a team. Plus, you know, Clifford is a guy that 
has traditionally, in a, in a relatively short period of time, but over the course of several years, leaned very little on rookies unless it was a four-year guy like Frank Kaminsky and you know got one-and-done guys like Noah Vonley essentially never got off the bench. And I kind of was trying to evaluate the Hornets coming into this season without factoring him into the equation too much, even though I knew they were thin at backup point guard and they were especially thin on the wing and they had little shooting off the bench, or so it seemed. And, you know, however, I got to say, what I saw in the preseason, it, it inspired a lot of confidence. Like you said, the shooting wasn't super efficient, just 33% on downtown in 136 minutes. But, you know, it's tough to, I don't want to read too much into the small sample theater of preseason when, by the way, Malik Monk was a plus 18. Uh, the Hornets were a plus 18 with him on the court. That was the team best in the preseason, which was, you know, nice to see. But it's just you had to watch these games, and if you did that, I think you would you would you would really feel a lot better about Malik Monk heading into the season, especially as the backup point guard. He played; he had some great minutes running this team's second unit, and it's to the point now where he's he has to get minutes as the backup point guard on this roster, and especially with we're completely unsure of what Michael Carter Williams is going to be able to give this team, but. With Malik Monk, again, you're trying to temper expectations like you were saying because he is just a rookie. Mm -hmm. But I don't think – at this point now, I don't think we can use the case of, oh, hey, Cliff doesn't usually play rookies, so it's unlikely that Malik Monk's going to see time. He has to see time. Like they're just – especially without the tomb, the there are so yeah. few many few minutes – a few players to spread across these minutes and they need offensive firepower – and from the looks of it, this guy, especially with Batum hurt right now, he looks like the second most skilled offensive player amongst the perimeter group. So I think everyone's trying to pump the brakes and not get too excited. But he looked really, really good this preseason. And he gives Charlotte some skill out of position that I can't think of the last time they had a wing like this that was such an explosive score. And... It's it's a new dimension for Clifford and a new dimension for someone like Kemba to play next to, play with. But yeah, no, I think uh, I think at this point now with Malik Monk, I think he can have a serious impact on the, on the offense. And mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of stuff that they can do with him in the half court as well that can that could could be really productive. Right. I think the circumstance will will force Clifford to play Monk a little bit more minutes than maybe he was anticipating or maybe the fans were anticipating because of the injuries and the uncertainties with the backup point guard. Uh, well, we know Batum's going to be out for at least 8 to 12 weeks, so yep. that, that that backup playmaker spot is definitely needed there. I think, you know, coming out of Kentucky, he was one of the best players in college basketball at off-ball shooting, and mm -hmm. we, we saw him, you know, get into his spots and shoot the ball, but he still hasn't reached that point to where he's he's met his efficiency that we're expecting out of him. And I know it's early, but I think that eventually, as his rookie season goes along, we will see what impact he has shooting the ball because that is greatly needed on this team. We, we were not a good shooting team last year. Uh, to So inserting Monk into this offense, well, first off, it's going to allow us to play him in a variety of lineups. And I just mm -hmm. think his impact will be great with the spacing uh, and drawing defenders out to the three-point line. And he's a, he's a willing passer, too. So it's not like he's just going to pound the rock and shoot the ball. Um, he, can, he can pass the ball as well. 
and you were talking about you know using him in, in a variety of ways. I think one thing that I saw out there uh, with the offense with with the Hornets with Monk out there, um, I saw a lot of the flex offense and flex cuts yeah. with him, which I don't know if it, if it was too prominent uh, last year, and basically. Especially when he plays with the backup unit, um, you can still feel comfortable with him running the flex offense. Um, it's not it's not a flex offense. He just it's just a quick hitter using the flex cuts and things like that. But you have bigs like Cody Zeller and Kaminsky that are good passers. So if he can give it, basically he gives it to to a big at the high post. He gets down on the low block. He sets a cross screen. Um, if that player's not open, then he is looking for a down screen on the weak side. He comes up, catches the ball at the high post from Cody Zeller or from Kaminsky, and he can either shoot it from the elbow or, or drive it in, which he's uh, known to do as well. So I think just having the offense look a little bit different out there with him, I think, it, I think it's great. Uh, it gives the defense another look. Um, and I, I feel comfortable with him playing with that backup unit because we do have those bigs that can pass the ball as well. No doubt. I, I, the, I love any sort of action that incorporates Malik Monk as a screener going into a, a pin down, a down screen like that. I think that's, I think that's, and again, this is the kind of stuff that you couldn't see. You didn't see, even when Charlotte had good offenses the last couple of years, unless you were taking Kemba off the ball and having him do this sort of action, you didn't have, you know, Batum's a fine three-point shooter and so is Marvin and the Charlotte, Charlotte certainly used those guys as screeners who would then pop or would, or, or Marvin would kind of, uh, you know, slip and try to go catch a catch for a catch and shoot three. But this is a guy that within the flow of the offense, um, going low to high baseline to above the three point line, he can, you can do some really, really cool stuff. And he, in his one year at Kentucky, I mean, he was phenomenal. He shot 42% on catch and shoots last season, an effective field goal rate on catch and shoots of 61%, which is again, one of the best numbers in the SEC, in the entire, uh, in the entire country for that matter. And he was really good coming off screens, which is 16% of the possessions he used last season at Kentucky were coming off screens. He shot 43% on those possessions with an effective field goal rate of 53%. I mean, he was one of the best off ball shooters, if not the best off ball shooter, you know, you know, maybe a guy like Luke Kennard, some other people were, you could say were better than him, but man, he was, he was certainly one of the best five, six, you know, seven top 10 guys in the nation at doing that sort of stuff last season within the confines of Kentucky's offense. And I think playing for a, a souped up offense in the NBA that has a, an all-star like Kimball Walker, I think there's some really, really cool stuff they can do. But I was impressed as long with, uh, as well with him as the backup point guard. I thought he he seemed it feels natural. I mean, I don't think he's look. You know, he's not he's not Chris Paul. You know, he's not. This isn't the king of the pick and roll. But he made some nice reads, uh, and I thought he did a good job finding guys on the weak side. He had Bacon for three uh, in the the win over Dallas Friday night, and I even thought some of his uh, when when teams would sort of ice these side pick and rolls. I thought he did a pretty good job of splitting those sort of traps mm-hmm. with with deaf bounce passes to Cody and stuff, or or and, or if in fact he would just kind of go around and go baseline instead, and he has the quicks off the dribble to do that. Um, he showed a floater game, and even though his numbers at the rim weren't great in the preseason, and really he wasn't great at the hoop at Kentucky last year, about fifty percent, fifty one percent, which is okay, not great. Um, on non-post-ups at the hoop. But, uh, you know, the fact that he can get all the way to the rim, 
is like half the battle. The fact that he can get there, it means like <laughs> that means he can draw fouls and yeah. stuff like that too. And yeah, he shot. He attempted 17 free throws in the preseason, and that was third on the team uh, behind Dwight and Kemba. So I, I really, really liked what what I saw from him in the preseason. Again, you're trying not to get too pumped, but it was it was re- it was really fun to see. And I think Hornets fans should be excited about him as the backup point guard, but yeah. him playing with Kemba Walker too. Yeah, and I think his impact will even be greater when he actually starts hitting down his threes. Like, I mean, it, it was, we saw the impact that he had on the offense, but I don't think it's reached it to the point to where it's going to be uh, hitting all cylinders uh, when he's actually knocking down those threes. And, and you kind of touched upon it uh, with the backup minutes and the point guard. With Carter Williams, who didn't see any action in the playoffs, I mean the preseason, excuse me, um, and yeah. then we have Stone, who only played a couple of games, so he's had a nagging hamstring injury. You know, what what is your take on on Monk's minutes at the backup point guard? I think initially I thought he would be playing beside Carter Williams in the backup yeah. uh, rotation, yeah. which I think he still will at times. But yeah. I'm also starting to think that maybe, maybe he just might be eventually take over as the backup point guard and see more minutes as the backup point guard than maybe even Carter Williams, especially maybe even early on with with his knee um, injury. So I don't know. I mean, do you think he sees major minutes as the backup point guard? I think at this point he has to, uh, just because a there the Carter Williams is hurt, Stone is hurt, and. He had he had some really nice moments in the preseason, and I, I just think you, especially because he has the ability to be this sort of uh, microwave off the bench when it comes to instant offense. Yeah, like I think you have to. I think he has to get minutes there. And what's you know, I'd like to see him on the wing a little bit more, and I'd certainly like to see him playing with mm-hmm. Kemba. Uh, in 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 yeah, you know, I mean not all of it because I would say at this point maybe you need to even. I don't think we're here yet, but. Maybe you do need to look into staggering those guys a little bit, making sure at this point early in the season that you have Kemba on the court or Monk on the court at all times. Who knows what to expect with Michael Carter Williams? This is a guy that's had a you know certainly an up and down career. He's never been very efficient, um, say for maybe some of the not even the rookie of the year uh, season in Philadelphia, maybe some decent years in between playing with playing for Jason Kidd in, in Milwaukee. And, I think him on a on a get right contract like the Hornets have, I certainly think there's incentive for him to to play well this season. But at this point, you got to think he's third on the depth chart when it comes to point guard. In that, which is crazy because the person between Kemba and Michael Carter Williams isn't Nick, but Nick Batum, like we may like we will well, like we would have expected right. two weeks ago. It, it's Malik Monk, and I think part of why this is maybe why this may have caught me off guard a little bit was he played very little point guard at Kentucky last year, almost none. Um, part of that is because they had De'Aaron Fox, who was a top ten pick at point guard, went to the Kings, and Hawkins, who was a backup senior for them. So he did shoot well out of the pick and roll last season, and he shot well off the bounce. He was one of he didn't have a ton of attempts, but he was one of the best shooters off the dribble in the entire nation last season. You just didn't see it that much. So maybe he's kind of figuring out the point guard position as, as he goes here, too. And, and maybe it's just natural for him to have the ball in his hands. And because of that, you know, the, the, the point guard position in the NBA now is different than it was mm-hmm. you know, 10, 15 years ago. It's not just about get, or 20 years ago, whatever. It's not just getting the team into its, you know, its half-court sets and 
making the ball flow. Like if you can score, go score. And if you can create for others, do that. And it seems like he has the ability to to do that. So yeah. I I'm excited to see what it looks like. And I think what do you think? You mean do you yeah. think he's the backup point guard opening night I, I think he sees more minutes as a backup point guard than I initially thought um yeah I, I mean depending on injuries I think he might just have to be the backup point guard I'm not yeah, even yeah. sure what Carter Williams status is for for Wednesday night yeah. against Detroit um and then we talked about Stone as well he only played two games in the preseason he has a hamstring injury I, I think Monk will get plenty of time in the backup point guard yeah. position and like you said he's not a Chris Paul he's not out there orchestrating the offense setting up the offense they're just getting the ball in his hands and hopefully he can get out and transition quickly and and if he doesn't if he doesn't set up the offense he just gets the ball out of his hands and now they start setting screens for him for him to get open so it's not like a typical point guard he's more of a point it, guard on defense you know he's going to be yeah, guarding the it, opposing point guard and that's in uh Dwayne Casey the coach of the Raptors would say you are the position you guard. Mm-hmm. So you know what I mean? Which is which is which which fits here. And on top of that too. So Kaminsky's you know, Kaminsky's he, positionless, right? But yeah, he, or you know, he, he's he guards the air in front of him <laughs> and behind him. So the the yeah, to, to my knowledge that is not a position on the on the on the court. But with Monk, that's one of those things where you know, some of these some point guards in the NBA, the you know, when when Russell Westbrook is out on the court, you want the ball in his hands as much as possible. Mm-hmm. The ball isn't in his hands; it's he's just not as important or as um, as dangerous of a player. Now, as soon as the ball gets back into his hands, then yeah, then it's all systems go for him to dominate. But with Monk, because he is such a great shooter, especially off the catch, and man, he's got a pretty shot, and he splashed a couple against Dallas Friday night towards the uh, the wing in the corner. Um, you know, the, the, you could run offense through him off the ball. And, uh, you know, I think the the sort of optimistic and popular comparisons for him heading into the draft, after the draft, after Charlotte selected him, were C.J. McCollum and Brad Beal. And he does have some McCollum to his game. He really does. As a guy that probably should spend most of his minutes playing the two, but can without a doubt run, run, run offense and be yeah. the point guard and can – can, can certainly take advantage of those possessions against second units. The guy is certainly confident, and that's probably half the battle too, uh, for especially for a rookie. And I would also say as well, you know, with Steve Clifford, it's important not to turn the ball over. He handled it a lot, and he played a team-high 137 minutes in the preseason, just four turnovers to 12 assists. So your, uh, you know, your three-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio – that's something that's got to make Steve Clifford yeah, happy. That's good. I would, also, I would also say too, you know, he had that ankle injury that you Spencer and I talked about and it didn't seem to be bothering him, but that was another thing that I think that was tempering my expectations with him a little bit more too. Yeah. And uh, we'll probably talk about this at the end of the podcast in terms of him playing with Kimba a little bit more. I think, yeah, it, I think yeah. eventually, I mean, he, he's going to have to see some minutes with Kimba. Um, I, I think, the the offense will outweigh the defense, but we'll 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 hold that off until the end. Yeah. Let's transition to another rookie, uh, our second round pick, Dwayne Bacon, and we'll just spend a little time on this. Uh, Dwayne Bacon, I thought he impressed me uh, a lot uh, coming into this preseason. You know, drafting him out of Florida State in the second round, I wasn't you know I wasn't really ecstatic about it. Um, I just thought he was just going to be another bench guy towards the end of the bench. Um, but I'm definitely impressed with this mid-range game. We saw that uh, at FSU. We saw that in the summer league. We saw that uh, in the preseason. He shot 42% from mid-range, 
And I think with the lack of uh, wing depth on this team and some injuries here and there, um, I think his role might be a little bit bigger than I anticipated. So I'm just going to throw it to you. I initially thought that when we drafted this guy, uh, way back in June, that he'd be seeing some time in Greensboro. But I, I don't think that's going to be the case at all. I think he's going to get way more minutes here uh, than I originally expected. Um, I'm not sure it'll be a ton because I think Lamb has played very well. And I think Lamb's going to be pushed up to the starting lineup. But yeah. I definitely can see Bacon get some sporadic minutes here and there. And I was impressed by him. And he shot the ball well from three-point land. He actually was the highest on the team in preseason at 55%. Yes, mm-hmm. he only shot about two a game. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's still better than I anticipated. That's not something I thought was in his game. So what are your thoughts, impressions, just quickly on Joanne Bacon heading into the season and how he played? Yeah, I, I thought he had a great preseason. I think he surprised uh, a lot of people. I think the sort of online Horton's contingent was was really excited about what Monk and Bacon did in, in the preseason with Charlotte this year. He's a, still a little shaky handling the ball, I thought. But as far as his mid-range go, I mean, you hit on this a ton over the summer. He's, he's silky smooth. Uh, very happy to let it fly from 15 feet around, 15, 16 feet around the elbow. And I'm okay, I'm I'm okay with a couple of those a game. We'll see how many minutes he gets once, especially certainly once Nick Batum comes right. back healthy. And and because of that, yeah, he may need to make the trip up I-85 to Greensboro, and in just so he can get so just so he can play 30 minutes and get his 12 shots a game playing for the Swarm. But I liked what I saw, especially with him on catch and shoots. Like like he said, he was the team's percent for percentage wise. Pardon me. The team's leading three-point shooter. He was six of eleven on from distance in uh, in preseason play, including five of eight on above the break threes. Which is one of those things like, he, look, he's not going to shoot sixty percent on above the break threes for his career. Um, if he shoots anywhere close to that, he'll be a, a superstar. So that's that's not really sustainable. But I would say the fact that he can hit out to twenty-five feet, no, that that should inspire a little bit more confidence even though we weren't crazy about his three-point stroke coming into the season after the draft. Right. And I think if he has that in his game and his three-point shot becomes a real thing, I think that that gives him more minutes on the court. Obviously, he's going to be very efficient in the mid-range game. That That's his game. He's going to be very good on defensive rebounding. That's his game. Uh, but if you can just stick him in the corner and he can hit a three here and there, uh, he's going to see more minutes on the court. So I, I think – Initially, didn't think this guy would get a lot of minutes, but especially yeah. with Batum out, I think early on, I think we should see some minutes out of Bacon. Any other lasting thoughts on, on Bacon before we switch over? I just think that this guy has yeah. impressed me more than I thought. Yeah, I guess the the one thing, the, the one of the bits of caution I would throw out here is that he was a little streaky at Florida State, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. you want like this 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 preseason play could be a flurry of that. So. You know, he shot 33% on three-pointers last season at Florida State. In the first 25 games of the season, five attempts per game, he shot above 38% from deep. In the final 10 games, um, about four and a half attempts per deep from per, four and a half attempts per game from deep, and he shot under 20%. Uh, so yeah, he closed the season really, really cold. It, you know, his mid-range shooting never dipped. He was really efficient from 17 feet the whole season. But I would say I'm not buying him just yet as a as like a knockdown catch and shoot guy. But this was we talked about this with Chris Kroger on the podcast after the draft, and 
I kept saying, and I think everyone else was there too, as far as this is one of those guys that if, if he is going to play in Greensboro, you just let him shoot it from the corners as much as possible. That just you got to see if this guy can become a, a catch and shoot weapon on offense. If he can, then yeah, he can help this team because they're devoid of a lot of shooting from the perimeter, and they could use a guy like Bacon if he can hit in the mid thirties. Yeah. yeah, he can help the team. Yeah. So th- that's maybe that's probably too optimistic. But I, he thought thought he had a, a really nice preseason, and he's big. He's six seven. He can guard a couple positions too. So I think there's some utility with him this year. If Charlotte's going to have a good season, I think there's a chance that Dwayne Bacon helps a little bit. Yeah, I think he just needs to put it all together on both ends, and may, maybe playing some minutes in Greensboro will will help him out there. Uh, kind of going off script a little bit. Uh, we're talking about three point shooting, but. I uh, just want to bring up Terry Henderson real quick. Uh, you know, he was uh, cut by the Hornets, so he's not going to be on the 15-man roster. But I wonder I wonder if we can get him on a contract in Greensboro because that guy, that guy can shoot the three. He's, he's a pure shooter. It's really all he does. Um, you know, he brings some other things here and there. But, like, we need somebody. And I, and I miss Troy Daniels to an extent. I just wonder if this guy could turn into that type of player uh, for us or for Greensboro and just get some microwave minutes off the bench here and there from Terry Henderson. What are your thoughts on him? I know you watched him a little bit more in college than I did. And by yeah. more, I didn't see a single bit of him. So you're, you're, you're <laughs> by by uh, by default there. Yeah, I saw a lot of Terry Henderson uh, this past season at NC State. Uh, not a lot of great basketball from the team, but really, he and Dennis Smith were two of the two of maybe the only bright spots for the Wolfpack. He's a great. He's one of those guys. He's older for a rookie. I mean, he played five seasons of college basketball. Hmm. And if the NCAA had given him a waiver, he'd be at NC State right now. He petitioned for a six-year of eligibility. So this guy is older for a rookie. Uh, you know, he's still probably just 23, 24, somewhere in that range. So I think there's he can get a little bit better. But I like the Troy Daniels sort of comparison with him as a guy that you probably would have thought no chance this guy can play in the NBA. He's a he's a he's a G League guy, or he he needs to go to Europe or whatever. But the power, that that power of the three pointer, man, it just it changes everything. And Henderson is an exceptional shooter. He even did a he even ran a nice little corner pick and roll with Dwight Howard in the second game against Boston. And he hit Dwight for an oop too. But ultimately, I don't think he's super comfortable handing the bas- handling the basketball. But yeah, he's a phenomenal shooter. I can even remember for the AC- the ACC tournament this year up in Brooklyn. I was there watching State's open practice, and he beat Dennis Smith in multiple shooting contests after the practice ended. And that's the guy that Dennis, every time, would have these sorts of shooting competitions <laughs> with. And I don't think that's a surprise. I think there's a chance that, that Terry, I hope he ends up in Greensboro. And um, you know, I hope he gets an opportunity to, to shoot a lot there. And if that's the case, that he could maybe help the Hornets or someone else. Uh, I think there's... I root for guys that play for these sorts of ACC triangle schools. I really do root for them to to carve out a niche in the NBA. And I mean, I don't know. Would you rather have him on a two way contract or Marcus Page? Like, who who would you rather have? Uh, uh, yeah, definitely Henderson. Definitely Henderson. I you know, think I mean, with the way the NBA is going, you know, you need you right. need someone that can come off the bench and just score. I get that. Really, he's just an off ball player. He doesn't play well with the ball in his hands. Uh, but yeah. you can always use a guy like that. I mean, even if he only turns out to be like an Anthony Morrow type of player, like where he just comes off the bench and shoot threes. Sometimes that's needed every once in a while. It, it is. I mean, Troy Daniels was a. 
was a key player in a small role on the 2016 playoff team. I mean, he won a couple games for them that year. He certainly won the Sacramento game for them in that year in Sacramento. And again, you know, a guy that wouldn't play every night plays maybe 50% of the game, 60% of the games, but either it's in garbage time or you need some sort of offensive spark or another shooter out there. Look, I don't think there's any need for us to, to, to consider Terry Henderson as a rotation player for the Hornets too much. It seems like a stretch. But I thought he had a nice preseason. I was happy to see it. And, yeah, I think there's an outside shot he has at being a rotation player at some point in time in the NBA because he can really shoot threes. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, preseason play, we saw something uh, that we're unsure of is going to happen a lot this season. Uh, But what I did see out of this pairing, I I really was impressed by uh, Cody and Dwight pairing. And and like you said, we, we had talked to Clifford several weekends ago about this pairing. He was a little hesitant on whether or not this would actually be a likely pairing um, because Cody and Dwight are bigs that don't really extend the floor that much. It will cause some issues on the offensive end, but if Cody can develop a mid-range game or if they run offense where they're freeing each other up and Cody is is passing the ball and, and working off ball, I think there's a way that this could work. Now, do you think that this likelihood of this pairing is going to be something that we see often, or do you think it's going to be more of a situational type of thing? Or, I mean, are we just going to go the opposite route where everyone's going small? Maybe we go big. So, what what are your thoughts on this pairing? I did like what I you know what I saw out of the out of these two uh, in the preseason. I thought they had a good. I thought again. I thought they had a good preseason playing those two guys together. And, you know, I don't think initially I didn't think it was going to be something we saw a lot, especially after we talked to Clifford a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. in Charlotte. But now that was before the Nick Batum injury. And it's clear now that, you know, with Nick out, they're playing Marvin Williams at the three more, which means there are more minutes available at the power forward spot, which is why Frank Kaminsky has been starting these games. So, yes, I think at least until Batum comes back, and I think even – and we'll see – that gives you two months of trial and error to see if it's a thing that maybe you want to roll with throughout the rest of the season. I, we're definitely going to see it, I, I would say. Certainly the first, the first 20 games of the, of the regular season for Charlotte, you know, Cody's, Cody's not a, a knockdown mid-range shooter, although Steve Clifford also told us he worked on that shot a lot this offseason. He was 5 of 7 from the mid-range uh, in preseason this year, but last season shot just 28% hmm. on a, on only about 60 attempts from the mid range. So he didn't even take those shots that much or that frequently. But, uh, I think there's definitely some utility here because Cody's a good passer. He moves a lot and he's a great screener. And I think if you pair it with three guys that can shoot. And so I thought it worked really well when it was, or worked well when you had Kemba Malik Monk, and Bacon or Henderson or whatever you had one of those guys out there to be or Marvin is a guy that we saw with it too a guy to be a floor spacer in the corner while Kemba and Malik um you know are kind of handling the ball passing it and, and using the what you have with Dwight and Cody which are two guys that finished in the top 10 in the NBA last season in screen assists both had over three a game so in Dwight didn't you know Dwight and Cody neither of those guys played a ton of minutes too you know it's considering injuries right. foul stamina, et cetera. So I definitely think it's a lineup we're going to see in Richie, man, you know me, I'd rather just play with, I'd rather you just, I I just play with nothing but wings and just shoot threes the whole time. That's normally my sort of uh, 
preference for for lineup composition, but I think because Cody's such a he's such yes. a damn good player and yep. he's such a good yep. screener, and if the mid range game, if that twenty footer is is a thing, then that opens it up a ton when when teams try to ice him. If if it's going to be sorts of side pick and rolls yep. with Monk Cody or Kemba and Cody, you can't do that with Dwight, obviously. But uh, I, I think there's some real and uh, the other thing too. One of the reasons why I think it could work maybe more so than Cody and Al Jefferson did two years, three years ago, is because Dwight gives you that vertical threat, the lob. So this, the spacing on the court, while maybe it's a little tighter because you've got two seven-footers in there, there's vertical spacing above <laughs> the rim, the lob. And yeah. that's a real, you know, Kemba probably needs to work on his lobs a little bit. But we saw them at least looking for Dwight on those types of attempts, and they they landed a few of them this year. And it would be really, would be really cool to see if you could get the sort of, this is probably too optimistic or too wishful again, but if you could, could get the sort of uh, Los Angeles Clippers tic-tac-toe pick and roll uh, alley-oop, which would be, was like the Chris to Blake Griffin, who then on the short roll throws the lob to DJ for the slam after the, the center help defender comes up to stop yeah. the short roll. You can kind of in your head. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't, that pass is really hard to throw, and Blake Griffin's a special player to be able to do it. Draymond does this too for the Warriors with with JaVale McGee, so it's probably asking too much with Cody. Cody but yeah. you're, you're dreaming of it, right? You're thinking, oh man, if they could have that threat, this is another another you know another play. But I think it's something we're going to see, and I'm I'm optimistic about it. Yeah, I, I view Cody as a, as a bounce pass type of guy, like him throwing a yeah. lob from the short roll. Uh, I can totally. see it, and I can see where it would work with the two. But like right now, yeah. no. But yeah, I think. You know, when you when you think of two center lineups, sometimes it's hard to imagine how it's going to work. I think Cody, even though he's not a stretch five by any means, I think a lot of his game reminds me of a stretch five, if, if that makes any sense. Just the way he moves off ball, the way he can pass the ball, zip the ball around the court. Uh, he's just quick with his decisions. And there's one there was one play that uh I have a video out there on either my Twitter or BuzzBeat's Twitter where uh, Dwight went down and screened Cody's man. So Cody was freed up from that screen, and he went up to set a screen on Kimba's man. And then Dwight screened Cody's man, who was trailing Cody. Uh, and then by that time, the only person that was uh, available to guard Kimba uh, happened to be Noel, who was Dwight's man. And yeah. it was pretty much all over from there. You know, one-on-one, you know, you got Kimba on, on a big, uh, and he did a little hesitation move, got Noel off his feet, and he had an easy layup. So I can see where, you know, screening the screen or freeing those two up, yeah. uh, allowing Kimba to work in space, that's where the space is going to come and get him mismatched on a big. I can see where that's going to work because, like you said, those two are very good screeners. Dwight... He's an all right screener, but he's wide enough where he just gets in people's way. You know, yeah. Cody, Cody yeah. has learned the the uh, the art of screening and switching and everything mm-hmm. like that. I mean, he's had to because he's not this massive guy. But so, I also th- think, go ahead. Go, yeah, go, sorry, go ahead and finish up there. No, I mean, I, I just think that that's where we can see some kind of benefit between those two um, is with the screening, and also we've talked about this plenty of times is the offensive rebound. You know, Cody and Dwight both very good offensive rebounders. So uh, if we don't make the initial shot, Dwight's going to be right there to clean up. And and Cody's one of those players that can hustle back on D. If, if Dwight's crashing the offensive boards, you know, Cody can 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 hustle back. I agree, and I, and I think that you hit on it with the screen, the screen interaction. I think that's something you've got to see where before Cody or Dwight goes up and sets a, a screen at the top for Kemba, 
there's a screen on the block or on the baseline first. Whether, you know, if it's Cody screening for Dwight, who then goes up and screens for Kemba or, or vice versa. And I also think, too, the Hornets love to run a lot of horns. And Kemba mm-hmm. is phenomenal at shooting right to, when he goes right to left, when he comes off that, that top screen, going to his left. I mean, when he shoots back right, it feels like that's got to be one of his best. I mean, the, unfortunately, those numbers aren't publicly available. I would love to know what Kemba shoots out of horn sets. It's, it's see, I'm guessing it's a pretty, pretty freaking high number, though. And uh, I would also add, too, it's interesting to go back and see just how much Cliff has changed over the last couple of years, sort of with the advent of Marvin Williams uh, being a, a key part of the rotation. You go back to the 2014-2015 season, Cody played 883 minutes with Al Jefferson. He played 354 minutes with Bismack Biombo. So that season, he played 1,487 total minutes, and over 1,200 of those were with Al Jefferson or Bismack Biombo. They were awful on offense in, bo- in both of those set in both of those looks. Um, yeah, with with Cody and Biz, they scored 99 points per 100 possessions. With Cody and Dwight, pardon me, Cody and Al, just 100 points per 100 possessions. But it's different now because Cody's a, a more refined player, and Kemba has obviously taken a huge step since that season. And you know, I think there's the ability. I think there's ability for them to do it a lot better offensively than they did three seasons ago and still have the sort of uh, rebounding and defensive advantage that should come with a pairing like that. And, uh, you know, maybe, look, maybe they try in the regular season and it doesn't work. You know, maybe just the spacing's off. They're, they can't, they're not quick enough on defense because Marvin's playing three. Whatever it is, you know, maybe it doesn't work. But I certainly think they're going to try it. And I think it has some ability to be successful, especially if it's with Kemba, Malik Monk, and another shooter. Right. I don't know. You know, if it's Nick Batum when he comes back, great. I love how that lineup looks, honestly. Or if it is Dwayne Bacon. Um, yeah. Maybe even Jeremy Lamb can work, too. I wouldn't want to do it if it was those Marvin. guys. With, you know, exactly. Marvin. Yeah. Totally. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You know, if it's if it's if it's Kid Gilchrist or Carter Williams, yeah, then then I'm less then it seems almost unplayable because you can't have those sorts of three non shooters on the court at the same time, even if it is with Kemba and, and Monk. You yeah. know, so you, but, have uh, have, no, you have to have two and a half shooters when you think about it. Like right. that, that third guy's got to be somewhat competent. That, exactly. Exactly. Um, and it doesn't you know, Cody could be the greatest screener in the world. But um, but, you know, if you can't if you if you don't have enough shooters to space the floor, then, then yeah, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, you can't just stick them in the corner and expect uh, them to honor that guy in the corner. No, that's not no. going to work with, with some players out there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, but it's interesting, real quickly, before we go on to another big that we're about to talk about, uh, you said the horn set where they like to run a lot. And I think when when they did run these, these horn set, it was typically with Cody and Marvin or Cody and Kaminsky. And Cody would yep. roll to the basket and Kaminsky and Marvin would kind of pop out. It's going to be interesting to see if they do run this horn set and Kimba is not freed up for this three or if he's not comfortable taking that three, what do those two bigs do? You know what I mean? So, like, does Cody hang around the you know the high post and Dwight rolls? I think that's probably the best way to do it. Because probably. If, I don't know if you can roll both of them at the same time. You know what I mean? No, you can't. They, they did a little bit in the game against – I can't remember if it was the Boston game. I think it was Dallas. But they did a little bit of Spain action too, which is where – 
Kemba used one of the high screens, and then as Dwight was rolling, Cody then screened the trailing defender on Dwight as well. So there, they have some of that sort of after pick and roll screen the screener action. Gotcha. And I think that's. I think they, they're just going to get a little creative with it. The other thing too is it's like if Kemba comes off that one high ball horn screen, you know, if they do stop it, it might that the result also might be, hey, he has a he has a power forward or center that's switched on to him. And now he can pull it out, and now he can go ISO. You know, right. that, that's another thing that they that they can do. Or, or maybe if it's Malik Monk in the corner, you just whip it to him, and you let him be the secondary action on, on that set. But, but you're right; it, it's not the sort of natural horns flow where one guy's going to pop to 26 feet, and now all of a sudden there's more space because of it. it it'll be <laughs> they'll have to do some different stuff because right. no one's going to guard Cody out there. You know. I'm assuming if they use the horn set with those two, they're 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 hoping that that either Kemba has a has a lane to the basket or he has a three point shot. But like you said, like yeah. if they get the big on him, then he can pull it out and then kind of create that mismatch there. And at that point, mm-hmm. I would almost put like Dwight in the short corner and see if he can you know maybe get behind that smaller guy for a lob and and you know hopefully Kimba can yeah. kind of develop that lob game with with Dwight Howard. We saw a little bit of it. We saw a little yeah. bit of it in preseason. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just just in the general area and Dwight will go yep. get it even at his age. Um yep. so talking about Cody, talking about uh Dwight Howard, we're going to move on to a guy real quickly because I feel like we spend more time talking about this guy. I, I feel like if we logged all the minutes, this guy would probably have the most minutes on this show that we've talked about. So yeah. we're going to quickly <laughs> touch upon this and then we're going to move on so frank kaminsky's defense um nothing new here but frank has really never improved defensively i know that he has said it i know that if clifford has said it that he needs to get better defensively i'm just not seeing it whether it's as a center as a power forward there's so many things wrong with his game on the defensive end that you just don't know where to plug him and mm-hmm. as a center I think maybe you can. I don't know. I I, I, I guess you can't. You can't hide him as a center because he's the last line of defense. He's not strong enough to bully the guys down low. As a power forward, though, he doesn't have the foot speed on defense to stay with this guy if he's closing out on him. He will get beat uh, constantly. So my question to you: uh, Do you think his offensive impact outweighs his deficiencies on the other end? And just what are your thoughts on Frank as a whole player on both ends of the court? Yeah, at this point, no. Uh, unless he makes a sort of, a jump, uh, I mean, I hope he, it would be it would be great if he does. I I, I like I, I think I, I think Frank Kaminsky would be fun to have on the roster if he could contribute more because he is kind of an interesting dude and mm-hmm. and he, he does seem to not take and I mean this in a positive way he doesn't seem to take any of this too seriously for better or for worse you know and I I kind of I kind of like people that don't take themselves in what they're doing to be too too seriously, but in but yeah, ultimately, you know, no. Do his do his deficient does his like offensive prowess outweigh his deficiencies on defense? No, like not until he starts hitting forty percent of his threes, or he gets better, and or he gets better at um, in the in the mid range and in the post. The mid range is a dead zone for him, mm-hmm. and he's yet to show the ability to reliably post up and score against smaller defenders. And opponents are just way too comfortable putting a 6-7 guy on him or closing out really hard on him with whomever when he catches the ball after a you know a, a pass on the perimeter and yeah no he's just he doesn't he doesn't add enough offensively even though the team the team passes better with him on the court they they the offense scores more points per possession as has a higher yield but ultimately 
no, defensively, they're, they're pretty bad with him on the court. Uh, they, they gave up. Yeah, over 107, uh, over 107 points per 100 possessions with him on the court last season. Uh, that's over two points more per possession with than with you know what they did overall. And he out, he offers no rim protection. Uh, you know, team shot above 58 percent at the rim against Kaminsky last season, which for a seven footer is is pretty bad. And um, yeah, you know, I he just he, he misses assignments. Guys beat him on cuts. He he gets soon he dies on screens and um and yeah and then for when you when you have a matchup like this past Friday against Dallas Harrison Barnes is there for I mean I mean Kaminsky has no no chance hanging with a guy like that and Barnes is a really good player like it's it shouldn't be a knock on Kaminsky to say hey this guy this essentially this small forward that plays the four is gonna you know he's gonna take it he's gonna take advantage of that matchup so it's it's not even a knock on Kaminsky Barnes is gonna score against a lot of guys but um, but yeah, he just he has no home offensively or defensively when you play against teams that look like that, and mm-hmm. more and more rosters look like that nowadays too. I will say this again. I've said it ten times. Kaminsky, it all comes down to confidence. He doesn't have confidence right now. It, it kind of you know it it comes and goes, comes and goes, and it's too inconsistent for me for for me to put him out on the court for major minutes because his defense is never there. Uh, I've never seen that a single really a single bit as he's played here for the Hornets. So his offense has got to be way more consistent for that to actually outweigh his deficiencies on the defensive end. And just to just to go back to his confidence, I'm looking at this right now. His he shot free throw percentage 50% in the preseason. I mean, yes, that's, you know, a small sample size, but like that to me that to me is all about confidence is shooting from the free throw line. If you can't make your free throws where no one is guarding you, gosh, that's just going to play a big factor into how your defense is, you know, go, or how your confidence goes up and down. And to me, that probably is hurting his confidence even more. And he's he's not a good rebounder yeah. either, really. I mean, I think that that's another thing that he could get better at. But he's he's just too soft for me, just too soft all yeah. around, mentally and physically. Yeah, I, this is a big season for him. Uh, I, I hope he. I hope he has a breakout. I hope he can inc- just improve a little bit in terms of post offense against mismatches, catch and shoot mm-hmm. threes, which he was in the in the low mid forties, around thirty four percent last season. If he bumps that up to thirty eight, thirty nine percent. You know, now we're in now we're in business. And if he can give us a little more on the glass and a little more defensively, he he can really help the team. Um, you know, it's, what's a, what is a little unfortunate is because Dwight's in town now. You're going to see very little of him at the five, and maybe for some people that's a victory. But he played his bet. He had his best offensive numbers last season when Cody was out, and he played the majority of his minutes at center. And I kind of tend to think that's where his long-term projection should be. And I, just, it's hard to see it unless one of those guys misses time at center that Kaminsky's going to see extended minutes of any of any sort at the five. So yeah. it's yeah. a big season for him. Yeah, year three. You know he'll he has extension talks coming up next talk a year from now and if not that then after that restricted free agency so big season for him um, in in Charlotte. Yeah, the debate over the position has always been one you know a big age old debate for me. Like I feel like he plays better offensively as as the five, but defensively I think he's better at the four. But again, um, no doubt he's not he's not great on defense. So. He's right. one player that I feel like if he actually was actually making his threes on offense, he'd be a player that would see more time. And even at the end of the games, I think he would see more time. So 
quickly transitioning to the closing lineups, um, I don't think Frank is someone that I would play out at the end of game. What is nope. one lineup or two that you think that that would be interesting to see? Well, first off, maybe give me a lineup with Batum when he's healthy, and maybe a lineup to close the game that you're intrigued by in the first three, four months of the season when uh, he's not available. So when he's not available, I, I'm I'm intrigued by a, a closing lineup of Kemba, Malik Monk, Jeremy Lamb, Marvin Williams, and Cody Zeller. Uh, I think that's a lineup that offers a lot. You've got three plus three point shooters out there, plus plus Lamb, who's at least willing to shoot them. You've got a great screener in Cody Zeller. Um, you know, both your bigs on that lineup, Marvin and Cody. Are both plus defenders again? Not a lot of lineup switchability there. Unfortunately, you know, if, if, if MKG or Batum aren't out there, you kind of lose that sort of element. But uh, if if Lamb can dig in and be an average defender, I think that that I think is how you maximize before Batum comes back your offensive efficiency in those sorts of high leverage closing end-of-game situations. But what about you before Batum comes back? (laughs) No, that's exactly what I have written down. Kemba, Monk, Lamb, Marvin, Cody. That's my preferred end-of-game lineup without Batum uh, for these first 8 to 12 weeks, whatever it may be. Um, I just think, like you said, offensively and defensively, there's a good balance there, good balance. I think Kemba and Monk, offensively, they're going to create a lot of problems for the defense. Lamb, um, you know, on he's kind of like an average player on both, but I think the fact that he can uh, grab those defensive rebounds, that's going to be a, a benefit on the defensive end. And then, you know, he can do some things uh, offensively with the ball in his hands. And then you got Marvin and Cody, who were probably the most switchable on defense uh, because yep. they are good defenders. Yep. And they yep. can do a lot of things, uh, you know, spotting up Marvin and then Cody kind of setting those screens. So I, I like those two. Dwight Howard, I would love to see more time in the fourth quarter, but with this free throw shooting, it's pretty much uh, a, a no-go. They're, especially on those lobs, like they're just going to grab him, you know what I mean, and not even let him explode up and attempt to finish it. I do think another sort of intriguing lineup to close games before Batum comes back is the lineup that we've seen them. Uh, in, I don't think they've they've played this a little bit at times. They've not started with it, but Kemba, Monk, Marvin at the three, Cody, Dwight, I think it's it's probably I don't know. I don't I don't know if you can play those two, the twin towers together to close games, but maybe you can if you've got three good shooters and and, and we just talked about this a little bit ago mm-hmm. about why that lineup could or could not work. But I think that's an I think that's another interesting option, especially if you want like if you really, really, really want Dwight's defense on the floor at the end of games, that this is maybe one way you could do it. And then all of a sudden you're you're huge. Like you have a you know rebounding should be good, and um, you know there there's some interesting elements of that lineup too. You should be big. You should make it tough for wing guys to to score and finish at the hoop and stuff like that as well. So uh, you know we're not we haven't even mentioned MKG as, as you know if he know. functions at all too. Part of me still wishes like I don't I mean I don't think we're going to see it because Clifford was so reluctant to go to it last season, but. And there's such a logjam of minutes at the four already, but you know it'd be fun to see him at the you know Michael uh, Michael Kid Gilchrist at the four too, and some of these sorts of end of game line. I mean, I don't think we're going to see it, but mm-hmm. uh, that it would be a fun. It would. I'm not. I'm not against a lineup that's that's Kemba, Monk, Marvin, MKG, and Cody, Cody Zell. You know, uh, I think there's which is the is the the four starters from last season with Batum out and Munkin Munkin in place of him. 
Um, so yeah, I'm intrigued by that. I'm a little more optimistic for the, these closing lineups when Nick Batum comes back, though. Now, when Batum comes back, are you just switching Batum for Lamb? So like now your preferred lineup is Kimba Monk, Batum, Marvin, and Cody? No doubt. Yeah. And, I mean, doesn't that sound good? Don't yeah. you think that could be <laughs> really good? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the lineup you have in at any point, even on the, the best Clifford teams we've had the last five years in Charlotte. You haven't seen a team, a raw, an offensive unit like that that had four guys that can shoot threes. Kemba, who's a great shooter. Marvin, who's a great shooter from the power forward position. Batum, who's a good shooter. And, and Monk, who is a special sh- a special shooting talent. Certainly was coming out of Kentucky. And not only that, you have three guys that can run pick and rolls with Kemba, Nick Batum, and Malik Monk that can all put on the floor and get to the hoop. There's just – that's really tough to defend if you have those elements. That's – that's the sort of this. That's kind of the what you want out of the modern day NBA offense: a screen setter, a roller at your five spot in Cody, uh, a guy that can shoot threes and screen and move the and be a ball mover at the four like Marvin, with three wing perimeter guys that can all hit thirty five plus percent of their threes and run pick and roll. And I think that could be a really dangerous closing game lineup for the Hornets, assuming Nick Batum comes back healthy and Malik Monk. If we sort of are, if we sort of see our optimistic expectations hit with him, man, I think that could be a dangerous closing lineup for the Hornets. I would agree. I think one thing, maybe liability wise on defense, if Batum's just got to get better defensively because those first three players, yeah. Kimba, Monk, and Batum, yeah. I could see the perimeter defense being a little bit of an issue. And when you don't have yeah. Dwight on the back end, um, you know, Cody's not a not a shot blocker by any means. He's he's definitely competent on on the back end of the defense, but he's not going to be erasing any shots. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the only place where I'd be hesitant on. But like you said, maybe the offense just outweighs the defense uh, and it puts pressure on the defense that way uh and then you know it would be a good closing lineup i think we're gonna start wrapping up this podcast because we've been going for about an hour uh but quickly uh we are going to be playing detroit in atlanta this week uh at detroit on wednesday who was a non-playoff team from last year that should be in the hunt for i would say the six seven eight seed or you know right outside at the nine seed and then we play atlanta on friday who is a playoff team from last year that is tanking and shouldn't be a threat to make the playoffs so outside of like Dennis Schroeder. I don't really know who else they have that they can go to. So question, just quick question. Uh, without Batum, how confident are you that we're going to start off 2-0? and uh, And then what is the importance to heading, you know, getting off to a 2-0 start considering the next week of teams that we play? It's one of those things, look, the season's so long, you don't want to say in the <laughs> middle of October, you know, oh, it's critical that you win every game or you get off to this hot start, whatever. But it matters. And as many of these games as you can win with Batum on the mend is is really important. They they count a little bit more, you know. And as you've as you've noted, our schedule is, is more challenging in the sec or not I shouldn't say our schedule. Charlotte's schedule is more challenging in the second half of the season. And so yeah, it's important to stack these wins when the schedule is a little more favorable and you don't have Nick Batum. I, I'm I'm a little worried that I, I don't know what that game game's gonna look like against Detroit uh, come Wednesday night. I think there's, I, mean, I think they'll take care of business against Atlanta. And uh, there's some, in, there's some other North Carolina ties for, for Hornets fans in that matchup. John Collins, the rookie out of Wake Forest who had a good summer. Ken Bazemore, um, who was a, a native of Bertie County in North Carolina. So there's, there's some intrigue there. Schroeder had a really good preseason and actually played pretty well in the playoffs last year too. 
So we'll see what he does kind of with uh, his second full season kind of running the show in Atlanta. But, you know, they're not they're not actively trying to win games right now. And uh, and they shouldn't be. As you saw, they just had that deal with the Cavaliers this weekend where they took on some salary in the form of Kay Felder and Richard Jefferson so they could acquire draft picks. I mean, that's classic. Hey, we have space. Set, you know, we'll, we'll eat this money for you. Give us give us your cheap assets uh, in, in these, these second-round picks that they acquired. So, um, you know, I think there's a chance that they take care of business against Atlanta then yeah. you, you know, or against Detroit, then you should be able to go 2-0 to start the season, which – doesn't matter that much, but yeah, it's really important too. Yeah, I think we're gonna win some games that we shouldn't, and maybe lose lose some games that we that we shouldn't either. But like, I think early on, these two games are are, are important, uh, as important as they can be for the first two games of the season without Batum. Uh, I talked with David Fernandez, yep. which you'll hear from shortly. We're here today to talk some Detroit Pistons basketball with SB Nation's writer for Detroit Bad Boys and also a podcast host of the Detroit Pistons show Inside the Cylinder, David Fernandez. Uh, David, first off, uh, how ready are you for the regular season to start? And secondly, can you please tell our listeners where they can find you and the podcast on Twitter and the internet? Of course, yeah. So, uh definitely ready kind of um getting over these like wacky preseason lineups that i keep seeing rolled out there from from detroit it's like all right i can't take away really anything from this um (laughs) so uh definitely ready it's been a long long off season um and uh yeah the podcast and myself so first off you know follow uh inside the cylinder over at almightyballer.com. Um, we're also on Twitter at Inside the Cylinder, but cylinder is spelled C Y L N D R. And if for some reason anyone has like listened from Buzzbeat to Inside the Cylinder before, I spell at the people all the time just because it's a wacky spelling. Um, so, right. Uh, did, <laughs> uh, and then myself, I'm at, uh, yeah, DetroitBadBoys.com. Um, you can find me there. And then also on Twitter at The underscore Fernantula, and that's F-E-R-N-A-N-T-U-L-A. So hit me up. <laughs> well, cool, cool. Yeah, so the reason we brought on David today uh, is not only to talk Pistons basketball, but we tip off uh, against the Pistons October 18th, which is a Wednesday, and we figured we'd bring someone on that knows the team a little bit more than we do. I, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm some kind of Pistons expert, and not going to lie, David, uh, Not hopefully this doesn't offend you, but Detroit is really not high on my list of teams when it comes to league pass teams. Uh, they're <laughs> they're kind of on the boring side, but again, it can win basketball games for you. Uh, they're a very slow-paced team. They're defensive-oriented. Uh, they don't take a lot of threes, so that probably lends itself to a team that probably isn't too fun to watch. But again, it can win you basketball games, and, and they're always high up there in the defense when it comes to Van Gundy. So let's go ahead and jump into some of the questions here to kind of get a background feel on these Pistons heading into the season and, and kind of who we're facing up against. So the first thing that, you know, just a general question, what do you think the strengths are of, of the Pistons heading into this season? Sure. And just on that note, they, they probably wouldn't be a top league pass team for me if I didn't <laughs> cover the Pistons and it wasn't from Detroit. I, I also – you know, have some painful moments watching watching this team and their the slow motor that that is oddly the Detroit Pistons. Um, but uh, yeah, you kind of mentioned it right off the bat. They're still going to be one of the top defensive teams in the league. Um, you know, they they kind of swapped Avery Bradley for Gatavius Caldwell Pope, or not that wasn't what the trade was. It was obviously Marcus Morris for for mm-hmm. Avery Bradley, but 
similar players on ball Hawks. Um, I think Pistons fans are going to realize that Avery Bradley is a slightly better version uh, of Contavious Caldwell Pope, um, both on the defensive side and on the offensive side. So I, I expect that to be um, what they're going to hang their hats on because you're right. You, you did mention a couple of their weaknesses and, and they're really going to have to be a defensive minded group. They were number one last year, I believe, in defensive rebound percentage. Not much has changed there. You know, Dre's still a monster. Andre Drummond's still a mm-hmm. monster down down low. Um, and then they're bringing in, supposedly, I know the starting lineup's not 100%, you know, packed right now for, for the Pistons. But it, we're, most, most people around the team are suspecting that it's going to be uh, Stanley Johnson at the three, Tobias Harris at the four. Now, I assume Marcus Morris really didn't kind of turn it on and wasn't really focused on um, on rebounding last year up until like the very end of the season. And I think that's going to be kind of a calling card for Stanley Johnson. So I think rebounding and defense is really what's going to be the key for, for them this season. Our team and your team have very similar uh, strengths and weaknesses. Like you said, you guys rebound the ball very well in the defensive end. You know, so do we. Uh, the one thing that I noticed that was a little bit different is, you know, our three-point attempts or the, the three-point attempts that we allow is, is, a, is a ton a ton and I don't know well, for whatever reason teams just shot a bunch of threes on us and you guys on the other hand you know coming from the same coaching tree with Van Gundy and everything like that you guys don't you guys didn't uh, allow too many three-pointers last year so that's something different that I always wonder why that could be um, we, we discussed it a lot of times on Buzz Beat. is it the perimeter defense or is it the fact that there's not really a, a big shot blocker down low because a lot of times People have to help off of uh, perimeter de- defenders, and we allow a lot of threes. But anyway, let's go to the flip side for Detroit. Um, anything that you think is going to be a glaring weakness kind of heading into the season? Yeah, so Detroit did try to address their biggest weakness, and you mentioned it right off the bat. It's still going to be three-point shooting. Last year, they finished 26 in three-point attempts, 28th in three-point percentage. Um, now they did try to address it, bringing in Avery Bradley, who's a step above Contavious Caldwell Pope at, at the three, um, Langston Galloway, who was kind of a trick, sorry, a quick trigger guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think he was 39% last season, Anthony Tolliver, they, they brought back to Detroit who, I don't know if many people know too much about him. He's kind of a journeyman in, in the NBA, but a solid three point shooter. I don't really know how much time he's going to see on the floor just cause he is kind of on the back end of his career. But they they tried to address it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that you know you bring in three guys, two of them off the bench, it's going to holistically change your team. So that's still going to be a weakness, and I think one of their biggest weaknesses is going to be playmaking. Um, yes, you know I've said Avery Bradley's name five times already, <laughs> but he's not he's not much of a playmaker. He, he he's more of a right. you know he he makes up his mind and he's going to do what he's going to do. He's more of a spot up shooter. Mm-hmm. You know you run him off screens. Um, but he's not really a playmaker and, and Reggie Jackson is, you know, kind of, you know, Detroit's best playmaker alongside Tobias Harris. So you really do hope that, that he can bounce back. But generally speaking, I think playmaking and three point shooting are their, 
their biggest weaknesses. Well, yeah, listen to this. So Dave. offense. Yeah, <laughs> offense. Here you go. Offense. Yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of us too. But uh, listen to this. Three-point shooting, like you said, you guys were pretty on the, you know, the bottom 10, bottom five really in three-point shooting. But when we played you guys last year, like I said, we gave up a lot of three-point shooting. So you guys played us. We played four times last year. You guys won three of them. Uh, you guys averaged 23 three-point attempts a game. And against us, you attempted 37 at one point and converted 41%. Uh, there was another game in which you guys converted 43% and shot 28. So both well above your average. So for whatever reason, we can't defend the three point line. And we're kind of hoping that changes this year. Um, so if we, you know, obviously when we face off on Wednesday, um, it's going to be interesting to see if we give up a lot of three pointers or, you know, like you said, it's not a holistic change with you guys. You bring in some three point shooters, but your offense is is what it is. It's ironic because De- Detroit does what, what their their do their their goal as a defensive unit is to make teams shoot long twos. Like that yeah. is their goal. Nothing in the middle. Nothing on the outside. Give up the the inside shot. You know if you're going to kind of overcommit on the three point line, you overcommit on the mm-hmm. three point line. But at least you're not allowing a wide open three. We do exactly what we try to force teams to do. Long twos. Detroit is. Just all long twos, a lot of settling. And, and, you know, when you don't have the playmaking to get interior into the paint, you can't – it's not going to lead to wide open threes. You're really going to have to settle at that, you know, 18 to 12-foot range. And, you know, obviously everybody knows that in today's NBA that can really only get you so far. And for, you know, Detroit and everything that you've said, it, it's no surprise that Detroit and Charlotte last year finished – you know, 11 and 12 respectively. So mm-hmm, – mm-hmm. So you kind of talked about it earlier – Avery Bradley and uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. What do you notice about Avery Bradley so far or from his days in Boston that you think are going to be a better fit with this team or just a better overall player? So I actually wrote a pretty long piece about this at at Detroit Bad Boys because you you heard all the time it was Avery Bradley's a better version of KCP or KCP is a younger version of Avery Bradley. It's Mm -hmm. like that's – it's kind of true because a lot of their plays come in the similar play types. Um, they run a lot of, like, you know, they both ran, I think, around 10%, or, no, sorry, 20, 25% at the pick and roll ball handler. They both averaged around 10% um, off screens. Um, they both averaged, you know, their play types were very similar in, in the style of player and that they are. But Avery Bradley was a bit, like, was actually quite more efficient than KCP was at spotting up um, mm-hmm. off screens and cutting to the hoop. I think those are going to be three areas where they're really going to need to celebrate Bradley, um, especially off screens. I mean, that's something that, that Stan Van Gundy runs all day. Um, you know, he really likes to run those types of sets where, you know, you're trying to find shooters in the, in the corners or around the elbow. Um, so I'm expecting to see quite a lot of that. And also, like I said, I think Avery Bradley was, in the 75th, 76th percentile off screen last last season, um, hmm. Pistons need easy buckets. So if that pick and roll can be working at any facilitation with Andre Drummond and Re- Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond, it is going to allow players to you know have more movement to the cup. You're going to be able to find more guys open, and the Pistons need easy buckets. So I think that those are going to be some of the areas, offensively speaking, where you're going to really see – um, you know, uh, why Avery Bradley is a more efficient player and, mm-hmm. and frankly, just a better shooter. And you keep talking about Reggie Jackson. I know this wasn't on our on our script here, but I've always been a big fan of Ish Smith. 
I mean, I think that what he does as a point guard, that's what exactly what I want out of a point guard. You know, he, he gets up and down the court. He distributes the ball. Um, he's not a me first type of player like Reggie Jackson is sometimes. So is Reggie Jackson expected to start? And is Ish Smith going to get a larger role this year? Do you know? Reggie Jackson, I believe, is expected to start. Okay. He, he did finally get some preseason action. The thing about Reggie Jackson that is going to be uh, interesting, at least, and kind of painful for for me, at least, is that uh, he's going to be gassed. He's gonna he's not going to be in in basketball shape. He just started doing basketball related activities like two or th- like, uh, I want to say like maybe about four weeks ago, uh-huh. and then he finally started doing like five on five drills two weeks ago or so. So he, even in last night's game, he really did, uh, you know, have those long inhales. You know, he was pretty obviously gassed towards the end of his, you know, I think 20, 22 minutes of playing time. So, yes, I do expect Reggie Jackson to start. Um, Now, I think they are going to put him on minutes restrictions and really kind of try to manage his comeback this year rather than what they did last year where they kind of just, you know, as soon as they declared that he was ready to go, they put him in for all, you know, just as regular minutes as you would, 36 minutes or so. So I think that that's something that you're going to see a, a bit more of Ish Smith off the bat. Okay. And, and he'll be the primary he'll be the primary yeah. backup going forward. Yeah, I love that guy. For whatever reason, I just I just when I watch him play, I just love what he brings brings to the team. And um I just you know, it's a lot of energy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean yeah. it's a lot of energy for a team that needs energy. And and it's it's just he when Ishmith is on the floor, it's kind of like a freelance offense. Uh-huh. There's not like you to, you can't really get too much into your sets just because he's such a liability as like a shooter and scorer himself that teams can sag off on him and it kind of disrupts your whole overall half court offensive flow. So speaking of another acquisition, we talked about Avery Bradley earlier. Uh, you guys. Obviously acquired uh, Langston Galloway. You spoke on uh, Tolliver earlier, but in the draft, one spot behind us, you guys got Kennard. Um, and there's a lot of people in Charlotte that, that wanted Kennard at that 11th pick, but obviously when Monk fell to us, we couldn't pass him up. What do you see Kennard's role this year for the Pistons? Do you see the, that he's going to play a lot of minutes? Well, first off, you guys need three-point shooting, so I can see where he could fit there, but I didn't know if there was some kind of logjam uh, when the wing position. Do you think that he'll see a lot of minutes this year? I think Kennard's – so we've been hearing some pretty promising things out of camp. Um, Sam Van Gundy has said a f- on a few occasions it's going to be hard to not have Kennard play. Right. Um, apparently, he's been really impressive defensively in practice. He had a pretty good showing in summer league. So that's really what it's going to be. If he can somehow, you know, be a viable and not just a completely like a, a extreme negative on defense, then I think he is going to get some playing time because he brings two things that Detroit needs. Not only is he a, a shooter, like a, an outstanding shooter, and you know I don't see any reason why that won't continue into the NBA. Right. Um, he's a pretty underrated playmaker. His ability to get into the paint, he's a crafty player, and his passing is something that all of those areas Detroit is starved for. So if he can hold his own on, on defense, I think that there is a, a, a scenario where he could take the primary backup spot over Langston Galloway, who, which is frankly what he was signed to be. Langston Galloway was picked up to be the backup shooting guard. That was a strong, that was an area of weakness for Detroit last year. So I think that that's, that's really going to be the key to Kennard getting on the floor. The only thing is, and one of my kind of gripes with Van Gundy, he has a pretty short leash for his rookies. So Sounds one like defensive blow. 
Yeah, I mean, it make right. I mean, it's and I don't necessarily admonish the the philosophy in totality. I'm just saying, like, there's times where you know you you need that player's strength on the floor more than you need to teach a lesson, in my opinion. Right. So that's I'm hoping Van Gundy can change that a little bit if Kennard you know does blow one assignment or something like that and not sit him for you know the next three games, but that I'm not necessarily expecting that. Yeah, they, they, they got less room for error under Clifford and under Van Gundy. I guess they take the same approach when it comes to rookies, and, you know, they, yes, they try to teach them, you know, lessons uh, as a rookie. You know, they're going to get plenty of playing time, playing time down the road, but like you said, sometimes the impact on the court is greater than a veteran, uh, but for whatever reason, they got that short leash. So, Considering all these factors with Detroit, I know that Hornets and Detroit are both going to be battling for a playoff spot. I could foresee Charlotte and Detroit maybe getting high as five or six, but we could also see them not making the playoffs altogether. Uh, that's not definitely not uh, unforeseeable there. So what do you think it's going to take for Detroit this year to best their record from last year and, and kind of make the playoffs? Sure. So for the record, I have, I have the Hornets at the sixth seed have Detroit at the seven um and, and it's stay healthy honestly the we the east is, is that week that if Reggie Jackson is you know just a pretty significant step better than he was last season not that he has to be to the level that he was in 2015 2016 but as long as he doesn't look like a corpse out there then that's going to be that's going to bode well because I, I think that that's all that they really have to do is kind of managed with what they have already on this roster. I think they have enough firepower offensively, not that they're going to be a top, you know, 15 team on offense, but, um, and, and they can really, as I mentioned earlier, hang their hat on defense. I think that will be enough if they stay healthy. But there is a scenario where Reggie Jackson really doesn't look like himself, and you are kind of, you know, I think management at that point would have to holistically look at this team and see what they're going to do. And it could be, you know, a fire sale, honestly, if it gets to as lowly as a point as it was last season. I'm, you know, there is there is avenues for, for them to kind of blow everything up. But I'm projecting them to make the playoffs simply because I don't think and this is, I don't know what, you know, I've, I'm on the train that I don't think the Sixers are going to make the playoffs this year. I don't think a team of rookies um can, can I, I think it's people are overstating how easy it yeah. is to make the playoffs in the east and i think a team of rookies is just too difficult so i have you know the miami heat at eight and you know pistons at seven charlotte at yeah. six that seems reasonable and I, I actually have been on record before on buzz beat saying that the that the philadelphia 76ers will make the playoffs but I, I keep going back and forth but like you said it they have a lot of young players a lot of talented players but that's kind of why i, I kind of waver a little bit and yeah you know they could definitely make the eight seed but i think it's going to be a little bit harder than people think like you said so i don't know if you're big into predictions or anything but do you have any predictions for opening night against the hornets you said that health was a big issue obviously batum is going to be out for us uh, so you will see charlotte without batum uh, on opening night against the Pistons. Do you think there's going to be a win in the new arena? What, what, what's, your, what's your thoughts on the opening night game? Uh, I think the Pistons show up for these high-energy games. It's not hard to. You know, it's going to be opening night. It's going to be a brand-new arena. Um, I do have Detroit winning this one. Um, you know, I, I think there's been, in, quite, in, in, in probably like five of their last six meetings, Andre Drummond has really outplayed Dwight Howard. Um, I'm kind of expecting that to, to hopefully continue. No offense to 
um, you know, the Buzzbeat Nation out there. <laughs> but and I think that kind of you know coupled with the excitement of the new arena, um, even though Reggie Jackson is going to be on a, on a pretty strict minutes restriction. Um, I, I do have Detroit going one and zero this season. Very good, very good. Yeah, to I started it off. Yeah, it's it's going to be a competitive game. You know, the strengths and the weaknesses are pretty similar between these two teams. You know, the, these two coaches have coached together for several years together. Last year, Detroit went three and one against the Hornets. Um, so we're kind of looking to start things off on the right foot. But with Batum being injured, I think our expectations dipped a little bit to start the season. Um, so this was all good stuff from from David, and, and thanks thanks to him for joining us. Uh, please check him out on Twitter. That's uh, at the Financiala or the underscore Financiala, and be sure to listen to his podcast inside the cylinder which is also a member of the almighty baller network uh we definitely will see how things shake out october 18th between the hornets and the pistons wednesday night at seven in detroit all right guys that's it for the show we'll be back next week as the hornets head into a more difficult week with games against milwaukee denver houston and orlando once the games begin i'm sure that that will drive our conversation and we will see how this season pans out for the hornets uh, we're definitely ready for an interesting and hopefully a successful year out of the Charlotte Hornets. Thanks again for joining us on this 39th episode of BuzzBeat. Of course, be sure to rate and subscribe to BuzzBeat Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever your preferred podcasting app is. We'll see you next time. Hopefully then Charlotte is 2-0. Go Hornets and go enjoy the NBA. It's awesome to have it back. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.